Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Saving Atlantis is a documentary about one of the most consequential issues of our time, the dramatic decline of global coral reef ecosystems and the impact on human populations. Produced by a a team of award-winning filmmakers, including Justin Smith and David Baker, the film follows those who are fighting to uncover the causes of coral decline and find solutions before it's too late. It's an emotional exploration of some of the planet's greatest natural wonders at a tipping point in their ecological history. And with that, I'd like to introduce to uh, the show the co-directors of this film, uh, Saving Atlantis, Justin Smith and David Baker. Gentlemen, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks for having us. Yep, we really appreciate it. Thanks for all you do to bring attention to independent films. Oh, you're, you're so welcome. I'm glad to have you on. This is something that is literally and figuratively below the surface of what we are, what we know about the ecological issues that are facing humanity right now. Uh, it's it's unfortunate because it's kind of sort of out of sight, out of mind. But through films like yours and Chasing Coral and other work being done, we're starting to understand and grasp the the gravity of what's happening in our oceans and the causes for what's happening in our oceans. For you, uh, I'll start with you, Justin. I know you work with Oregon State University on projects like this, but how did this particular project, Saving Atlantis, come to you and and David Baker? And what was the sort of went into moving forward with it as a documentary film project? Sure, absolutely. So the way this project came about was it was initially conceived as a five-part series that was looking at a very specific research project that was taking place on campus with Dr. Rebecca Vega Thurber, who came, became a central figure in our film. And so that was looking at um, how their project was designed and executed. And uh, we ended up traveling with them for the first couple of locations, at least, and realizing that there was much greater potential. So in the midst of this research, uh, we experienced one of the, the first major bleaching events in, in the last couple of decades on the Great Barrier Reef, and so this story quickly changed direction from kind of explaining and celebrating reefs to also diving into why was they're, they're in such a bad shape and what we're facing with reef systems globally. So Dave had this concept in his mind to kind of expand this into a larger story, and the researcher was on board to let us kind of dig deeper into her personal story as well, and then we just worked on establishing the support and the funds to to kind of scale it up into a full, full-length feature. Well, David Baker, uh, so how long have you been, this project been underway? Uh, we did the first shoot for that series um, in July of 2014, uh, and it was pretty evident right from the start that we had a really photogenic subject, a really kind of a magical landscape to work with. Neither of us had been diving on a reef before that point, or diving, period. So then the bleaching event hit, and we just started to ramp it up and follow researchers and stories around the world as we were able to, um, where this phenomenon of coral reef decline uh, was taking place. And it's a combination of global pressures, climate change, and then local pressures like pollution or or dredging in a specific location 
that is sort of a one-two punch that's really uh, uh, causing a lot of damage to reef systems. I think it's a good point in our conversation to kind of talk about the place where the coral reef system fits into our world, into our oceans. Describe for us what are the importance? Why do, why do coral reefs matter? Yeah, so we talk about this at length in the film, and they, and actually that was one of our goals in creating this film and our communication goals was to kind of reach an audience beyond maybe the, the people that were already aware of it. You know, people that people that experience reefs by visiting them on vacation, or or even researchers that are you know in the in the midst of reefs in in some regular frequency have a deeper appreciation. But that doesn't mean that we're less connected to them if we're not if we're not spending time on reefs. So a couple of the the more immediate we we call them ecosystem services. That's kind of the the way we've described what reefs do for us, and so. They're, they provide protection to um, coastal communities. If you're living on the coast, they kind of break up the wave energy. So that would be one of the more immediate effects. And then, you know, when you look at species, the majority of, of ocean-going fish are actually utilizing a coral reef as like a, a protected area for, for raising their, their juvenile fish before they venture out into the open ocean. So without that, these fish don't have anywhere to, to raise their their fish as they're growing. And then if you want to get down to the human level, you know, we worked with a uh, pharmacist that does a lot of um, research on coral reefs looking for different compounds that drugs can be derived from. So there's a lot of hope for, you know, certain specific types of drugs to be developed based on these compounds, much that you would hear about how this is work being done in, you know, the Amazon rainforest, for example. Right. You know, so there, there's potential for these these great, um, like, cancer-curing drugs, for example. That's, like, a hope that they have. So so that's something that could potentially touch everybody, whether or not you spend any time in the ocean. Right. And then um, David. And just the, at the real base level, it's estimated that at least a half billion people depend on reefs for their only source of daily protein. So that's just the ability to eat protein, to eat fish, and that's, a huge number of people that are on the front lines of it uh, when a reef is destroyed. Well, David, there's something even more fundamental I think our audience should understand about coral reefs, which is something I didn't know until I watched your film and 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 coral and chasing coral as well. That it's actually not just a pile of rocks or briny material that's built up over time. It is actually I say breathing, a living organism. How would you describe coral reefs at that level? What what are they? Yeah, you know, a a coral is a a polyp. It's a very simple life form, very ancient life form. It's a a small mouth that's made uh, surrounded by tentacles that that filter feed in the water. And uh, these little corals, uh, when they settle, and they settle on a, a piece of solid ground, on rock or something like that, they start to clone themselves, and they build up um, uh, colonies of millions of identical copies of themselves. And if you look at sort of this fan coral or a brain coral or, or something like that, a coral structure, that's actually one of these colonies of living creatures that have built up over time. And so they're like a, a rock or a wall or an ecosystem that grows, and it's analogous to, let's say, an old-growth tree in a, in a forest 
Uh, that provides the structure and habitat for thousands and thousands of other species. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's something fundamental that, uh, you know, a lot of people don't understand. And one of the first questions that scientists will ask, um, let's say, students when they're teaching them about the reef is, what is a coral? Is it a rock? Is it a plant or is it an animal? And uh, then it gets a little more complex in that these animals have tiny plants living inside of them, uh, little uh, algal, algal symbionts, they're called, little algae, single-cell plants. And those are what provide both energy and color to the, the corals. And uh, coral bleaching is what happens when the temperature gets too warm and these little plants that live inside the corals uh, flee or leave their hosts or are ejected or rejected by their hosts. And then the coral will uh, most likely starve. Yeah, I, for me personally, this is the thing that just has blown me away about uh, and it enhanced my appreciation of the work you guys do and others is that this is a this is an I, I call it an organism a multi-layered multi-dimensional gigantic living breathing thing in the ocean that I just had absolutely no understanding of beyond that it looked pretty <laughs> and that fish like to swim around it in terms of the system itself where does it slot into the health of the of the oceans. One thing that we did uh, as a metaphor, the whole film is this concept of a city. In many ways, it, it you know a coral reef is, is like a a human city. You know the um, the corals kind of build the city. They build the structure the way the humans do. But then there are all of these other services that happen. You know, garbage disposal <laughs> and energy and. Um, shipping food into the city and people consuming food in the city, you know, and all of these things work together. So um, the corals are just a small piece of that uh, city, but they actually build it. You know, this little animal that's in many cases less than a millimeter across builds these enormous structures that you can see from space. Um, so that that's for us was the metaphor that we stumbled upon, and that's where the idea of Atlantis, this lost city or this lost continent below the surface of the water, came together, and that was sort of a driving organiz organizational concept for the film. Thank you, David Baker, for that, because I, I, I really was just struggling to explain it beyond that it's, yeah, what you just <laughs> said, it was perfect. Thank you for, for that. Uh, before we get into some of the issues surrounding, more in-depth of the issues surrounding the, uh, the health and well-being of coral reefs, I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with the co-directors of the documentary film Saving Atlantis, and uh, that would be Justin Smith and David Baker. And your work through uh, Oregon State University is a, a driving force in what you are doing. Um, but I want to let people know about how they can watch uh, Saving Atlantis. Tell us a little bit about, I believe, starting on November 12th coming up, uh, how will people be able to watch the documentary? Yeah, absolutely. So the film is available for pre-sale as of right now, and it will go on sale officially November 12th, and the, the primary outlet for that would be iTunes right now. Gotcha. It eventually will be on Comcast, Dish Network, Spectrum, Verizon, Vios, as you said, iTunes, Prime Video, Voodoo, Google Play, Vimeo, and among others. So there are a ton of ways to see this, and I urge you to watch it. You'll find out things about the coral reefs that you didn't know about, but also a greater understanding of the threat level that they're facing now. And 
I'll go back to you, Justin. Let's you you, you mentioned some of the things going on, acidification in the oceans, the the rising temperatures in the oceans that are threatening their their lives of the coral reefs. Um, what kind of research through uh, Oregon State University and other places are we finding that gives us some reason to um, not only sound the alarm, but also to hopefully be hopeful that we we can mitigate the damage being done? Or is the cake sort of baked for a certain degree of damage to coral reefs? I know that's a big subject to take on, but sort of give us some idea yeah. of what's going on and also hopefully a little hope along the way. So I'll kind of lay out the current state of things, and then Dave can follow up with, with some story of some glimmer of hope about this. Okay. So right now, I would say all reef systems are having a difficult time, and that that has uh, been a, a real challenge for researchers to kind of reconcile. A lot of these people have spent their entire career studying reefs, and now they're facing you know their entire study subject kind of evaporating. So that's kind of their, their most immediate um, threat that they're facing as far as their work goes. And then, of course, there's this emotional attachment they all have to it as well. So that that would be, as David had mentioned before, we're, we're talking about global and local pressures to have reefs existing in this narrow thermal threshold. So when we talk about bleaching, we're talking about the temperature increasing only a few degrees. And uh, if, if things get too warm, and don't cool down quickly, then, then reefs face major issues and potentially die off. And the other issues um, that, that we're seeing are, example, uh, nutrient pollution. So if there's an area, I'll just throw out an example. If there was like a golf course in Hawaii and that, that golf course is getting heavily fertilized and, and some of that fertilizer is running off into the ocean, that's going to have a, a, a huge impact on reef systems. So we've got all these factors, and then we came across a story that kind of didn't align with any of this, which was a, a massive surprise in the filmmaking process. So I'll, I'll let Dave take over on that. Yeah, so with you know even pristine reefs in the, the far Pacific, far away from rivers that are polluting and, and, and far away from um, you know overfishing and, and other destructive type behaviors, even those are facing bleaching. You know, you can't hide from coral bleaching or climate change you know, we did come across a reef in a really polluted area uh, off of Cartagena Bay in Colombia. And this was a reef that is, uh, the local uh, fishing communities knew about for a long time, but scientists never even suspected that there was a reef there. The water has been so dirty and polluted because of a canal that was dug 500 years ago uh, by the Spaniards um, that this, this reef was huddling under a cap of murky water um, and it had, over that 500 years of human um, kind of interference with the ecosystem, it had adapted, uh, and it, it was not even just surviving, it's, it's thriving. It's a reef called Varadero. That reef was discovered when a scientist was doing some research to maybe move a few corals out of the way of a big dredging project. So here we had this reef, you know, was defying the odds, what had adapted to human pressures, and scientists really wanted to study it to find out how and are there clues there that can be used for, to help other reefs. 
um, and then it was slated for destruction. And, and I guess a bright spot of hope is that that reef has not been dredged yet. It's still under pressure, but different communities and scientific uh, members in Colombia are working with the government in hopes of preserving it and finding another solution for the sh shipping channel. Uh, there's a lot that we don't know about reefs, and while they're getting hammered by human pressures, if they're given enough time and if we kind of back off on those pressures, we do see that reefs can recover on their own. Uh, the problem is that the scale and pace of the changes that we're facing right now is overwhelming them. Right, that, and that is a part of the film. That is in Saving Atlantis, That what you just described. You said something I think is very important. If we can mitigate the impacts on coral reefs, they do seem to possess the ability to rebound from, from this. Is that, do I understand that correctly? Yep, absolutely. And um, if they are given enough time, if the changes that they're facing are gradual enough, they can adapt, they can evolve. Uh, but yeah, with, with climate change right now, the changes are just too fast. The bleaching events, instead of coming every several decades, are coming every year. Right. and they just don't have the time to respond. Right. And the, the other part of what you were talking about earlier about the, uh, you know, finding, like the rainforest, finding uh, about elements and materials that could be tremendously beneficial to us as humans for all kinds of different reasons, that particular coral reef in Cartagena Bay um Yes. I mean, if it's been able to withstand that level of pollution and that level of just kind of human, as you put it, pressure, my goodness. I mean, we, we desperately need to understand why that has been able to, to survive and thrive as it has been. So, Justin, I'm going to start with you as we sort of wind down here. By the way, we're speaking with Justin Smith and David Baker, the co-directors of the documentary film Saving Atlantis. I'm going to ask you, uh, Justin, first, if people want to find out more about the film or just sort of be able to contribute to the works being that's being done at Oregon State University, is there a place that you would direct them to? Absolutely. So the website for the film is coralreefmovie.org. Coralreefmovie.org. Okay. Correct. And so we've got in-depth information on, on the project and, and the trailer and also uh, some, some ways people can contribute to that project. We've also got some classroom material, too, so that instructors can show the film in their class and um, do some activities with their students to try and create some of that appreciation for this complex habitat. Fantastic. And there is a place there as well for uh, to donate to the work that's being done at Oregon State University and, and to uh, help out David and uh, Justin continue their activities. And there's a place for activities and research, uh, resources, and other ways in which uh, we can all uh, help out. And uh, so, and again, the film is going to be available coming up here on, uh, it's already, you said it's available, it's a Gravitas Ventures uh, release, but it'll be available on VOD starting on November 12th in a number of different platforms. And I, that information, I assume, is also available at the website for the film. If you're betting on science, betting on, uh, or are we betting on humanity's inhumanity to the world we live in? Uh, Justin, where are, you, where are you putting your money right now? That's interesting. I, I, without going into too much detail, that really starts to get into what we're discussing in this next project. Well, I hope you're right. You know, so I, 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 <laughs> I hope you're right about the part, the good part. <laughs> 
Um, I, I look at humanity right now as racing towards a cliff. I mean, we've, we've stopped trotting. We've stopped walking. We started trotting a little while ago, and now we're running towards a cliff as, as a collective um, body. And, uh, and I, I hope that there's either uh, a parachute or, a, uh, or a, some kind of soft landing, but um, I, I only hope that's true. I don't know that that's true. So, for, uh, uh, right. I well, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you a little bit of insight um, into our next project, and you can kind of get a sense of where we're at with this. And we're, we're working with a, a researcher who wrote a paper called The Scientist's Warning to Humanity, a Second Notice, and he, his name is Dr. Bill Ripple, and he had that paper endorsed by 15,000 scientists at the time of publication, which quickly became one of the most discussed scientific publications in recent history, and as a result, inadvertently created a movement. And the film is much, it's, it's, it's very much about scientists starting to uh, take a turn towards advocacy and, and sometimes activism That's as right. a result of their, their scientific finding. And one of the uh, recommendations in this paper is that people connect with their, their local government or, or hire if they have the opportunity to. And as we followed the, the trajectory of, of Bill's career and his story, we're starting, starting to see that all come together. Fantastic. Which is, which is pretty exciting. So we're starting to see this kind of work getting into the right people's hands, specifically lawmakers, and, um, and we're starting to see some hope, I would say. Through my exposure to documentary films and also just as a general news uh, consumer, we're starting to see technologies of carbon capture, carbon reuse, carbon, all kinds of uh, technologies that are coming online and with battery technologies and all the things that we should have been working on 40 years ago when we first knew, as Exxon knew 40 years ago, that their, that their product was causing climate damage even then, or at least projected to scientifically figure out that it was uh, even 40, 40 years. We've lost 40 years, in my opinion, on real research and real development of products that and uh, technologies that could have averted so much of what we're we're going to be facing but it is encouraging that science and money that's the other part of this and real money smart money is now on on renewable technology and and smart money is now on the kind of technology that's going to at least mitigate some of the effects here so i've got my fingers crossed and uh, i'm very hopeful and it sounds like you're you're guardedly hopeful as well from the project you're working on so that's enough for me i can live with that <laughs> All right. We don't have that. What do we have? <laughs> yeah. No. Well, I, I. Well, definitely. Well, thank you both uh, for for spending some time with us here today. The film is called Saving Atlantis, and we've been speaking with the co-directors Justin Smith and David Baker. To both of you, continue your great work, and thank you so much for being here on Film School Radio. We appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.